Broadcasting around the world on the World Wide Web. Yeah. Broadcasting live from the Josie Network Studios in downtown Medina, Tennessee. It's that time of week again. It's time for the Josie Show. Bringing you the most exciting music news and guests from around the world. Right here on the Josie Show. Please make welcome. Beautiful, talented, the lovely, America's radio sweetheart, Mrs. Josie Asentino Moon. It's Josie Passantino Boone back again for another Josie Show special edition. I was so lucky enough to be able to sit down and chat with Bill and Kim Nash. I mean, the history that they have in music is unbelievable. I've really been looking forward to being able to share this interview with all of you. Here is Bill and Kim Nash. Please welcome to the Josie Show my guest, Mr. Bill Nash. Hi. Hi, Josie. How are you today? Doing great. I see that your beautiful wife, Kim Nash, is there with you as well. <laughs> She is. She's my mainstay. Hey, hi, hi. Hi. You two are the dream team, I'm telling you. You guys come up with magic. Oh, thank you. Well, I tell you, it's crazy how it all worked out, but, you know, I'm a bit older than her. I hate to admit that on a radio talk show, (laughs) but... It's okay. It's so when we married, I'd already been in the music business. Turned pro when I was 13. I cut our first album with the Nash Family Trio in New York City at Columbia Studios. Right. And so I thought... You know, hey, down through the years, and I didn't meet her. Till, gosh, I was on, uh, on five major labels. Uh, yeah, by the time <laughs> I got to Kim, and so I didn't realize what great talent she had. But you know, the Reba McIntyre hit and the the In God We Still Trust song that we wrote, and all those are mostly her lyrics. Really, she's a great lyricist. I'm bragging on her. Oh, thank you, honey. Oh, <laughs> true, true story. True story. That is amazing. And y'all, of course, put out this incredible memoir, Saint Sinner Singer, an unexpected, redirected, resurrected life, which released March yeah. 23rd. Can you tell us a little bit about creating this memoir? What was it like reliving all of your memories and putting them down? Oh my! You know, it first was presented to me the idea, and even the metamorphosis of all of that that transpired. It took me six and a half years to write this because I had to call my older brother to remind me he's four years older than me. So I have to reference our first time. We're a pastor's family of a small church in a small community in the furthest you can get in the United States of America Mm -hmm. to the land. The Rio Grande River divides the United States from Mexico. And I live seven miles from that river in a town called Far, P-H-A-R-R, Jesse. And this has relevance because we got a chance, an opportunity to go sing in New York City for the Grandmother's Convention when I was 13. And we'd been singing for three years together as a family. And my mother had that German type of, you know, rehearsal schedule. What do you call it? Discipline. So my brother and I were pretty much on it. My brother became six foot one and had a bass voice and I had a high ten, you know, a little boy voice that was real high, almost as high as my mother's. Mm-hmm. She played piano and sang and wow. we were a real unique group. We ended up going to driving from that little area to New York City, Josie. It took three days to get there. 
1959 brand new Edsel. Do you remember the Edsel car? Wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Okay. Oh. Yeah, well, the Ford Motor Company made that. Edsel Ford was uh, one of um, his sons. So I'm, I'll try to get to the point real quick. Oh, but great. we got there. We sang for the grandmothers. One of them gave us tickets to NBC television to go see the game shows. Uh-huh. We got there. You know, they have spotters. Are you familiar with how they get guests for their shows? Mm-mm. Okay. Well, what happened was we're sitting in the audience, yeah. and we're dressed like we're from Texas, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With our red shirts and flowered, embroidered flowers on them. Love it. <laughs> and the spotter comes up and says to my mother, we would like for you to stay and be interviewed by Gene Rayburn. Now, Gene wow. Rayburn ended up on the match game. You, do you ever remember mm-hmm. that guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that was his first show on NBC. So, show ends. And Mr. Rayburn goes and takes his coat off and comes out to interview the audience, and we're the first ones. And my brother stands up, who's six foot one by this time, he, and he is 17 years old. Oh, my God. And he stuck his hand out, and he said, we're the Nashes from far. You want to hear us sing? <laughs> it was like not sing. You know, the, North, the word is sing, not sang. Sang. And so they knew we were rednecks right off the bat, Josie. <laughs> But what happened was Mr. Raven put, took a step back, and he looked at the three of us, and he said, well, okay. And at NBC, they have all these studios that are door after door, right all next to each other, and they roll their instruments around on rollers. So they rolled a piano out. My mother sat down. We sang one song. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Rayburn and the head of NBC Music just looked at each other. They walked off in the corner and talked for about five minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, we were wanting to get to the Hugh Downs show, which was one door down. Yeah. <laughs> Hurry up. And they, they came back, and they said, would you all sing on our show in the morning? Really? It was like NBC network television for a little gospel family singing group from the ends of the world of the United States. What a Cinderella story. We sang on their <laughs> show, and I'll give you a quick, uh, what happened next? Yeah. Mr. Reverend said, you're coming with me and Paul. Paul Topman was the music director for NBC. We go down mm-hmm. the elevators there at that, it's still there. NBC still there. Mm-hmm. And we go out, there's a black limousine waiting. Mm. We get in the black limousine. Nobody told us where we were going. We pulled up in front of this huge church, and it said Columbia Recording Studios on it. Oh. Now, I know you're familiar with that oh, record. Label, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of the biggest. I mean, one Tony Bennett and so many famous Andy Williams people like that are on that label. Oh, so yeah. So they went in. Of course, there's somebody in New York City, Gene Rayburn and Paul Todman. They all know who they are. And there was a guy in there recording, and he's a jazz artist named Dave Brubeck. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of Dave? I have, yes. So his big song was Take Five. That was a favorite jazz song of mine. So they asked him, would you take a break and let the Nashes make a demo tape? Terry Como's producer was producing that day. Yeah. He was in the studio. So we did a little tape, sang three or four or five songs, something like that. We said, thank you very much. And we went back, came back to Houston. I mean, well, to Far, Texas. I was living in Far at the time, going to high school. Mm Mm-hmm. Six months later, we get a contract in the mail from Columbia Records. That's insane. That's how my career started. That is insane. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. Isn't it amazing? I'm trying not to talk too long. I mean, it just goes on and on. It keeps on going. But that was just a God thing. That's how I classify it. Yeah. And it was meant to be my mother's hard work and our rehearsals all played a, played a part. But we just had favor from God with Mr. Rayburn. And he really loved that family aspect of us right. singing and, and traveling together. And it was a great time in my life. Oh, I'm sure it was. Wow. Growing up and, and just having an experience like that is 
incredible. I mean, and it's crazy how it all yeah. snowballs. I mean, one person hears you and then, you know, out of the blue. And yeah. then, yeah, that's just insane. But what a great experience at such a young age. And then to be signed with one of the biggest labels, you know, that there is. I mean. In the world. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I mean, just, you're right. It is like a Cinderella story. All you're missing is the shoe. I mean, <laughs> aspect. I mean, that's ah, really, yeah. it really was. Well, I like that. That's cute. No wonder you're such a popular radio host. That's great. Thanks. All you're missing was the shoe. All you're missing was the shoe. <laughs> I wish that I had that when we were writing the book. I would love to put that line in there. Right. Well, actually, yeah. that first album was so successful, they called us within six months and asked us to come do another album. But this time, this guy's name is Ernie Altschill, a Perry Comos producer. And he said, look, I'm going to send you all to Nashville for your second album. And that's where we met. Your audience won't know who Don Law is, but he was the most famous record producer at the time, producing Marty Robbins, Johnny Cash, all these big stars, and now the Nash Family Trio. So we went to Nashville, and that's where... For two years, uh, we opened the Grand Ole Opry Parade of Stars featuring Columbia Records stars for those same people I just mentioned, Johnny Cash, Marty Robbins, all those. And we got to meet all of them. We got to hang around with all of them, and they were such wonderful people. And they put us on an album, Josie, mm-hmm. that it was called the Country Music Festival, produced by Columbia Records. Now, I don't know how far your history goes back. We're talking 1960, 61, and I doubt you were even born then, right? No, I'm 26. So, <laughs> oh my goodness! I'm still, yeah. Oh wow, yeah. This is a culture shock for you, then, isn't it? I'm enjoying this so much. You have no idea. I love these stories. <laughs> this is amazing. You know what? I'm looking at the album. Kimberly put it in my hand. Mm-hmm. And can I read you the? Now you won't. I don't know how many of these stars that you'll know. So, okay. you remember the Beverly Hillbillies television show? Yes, all? yes, I know. Yes, I know them. Come, come and listen to a story about a man named Jed. You know that was mm-hmm. Flatten Scruggs. That was their name, Lester Flat and Earl Scruggs. Mm-hmm. They're on this album. Little Jimmy Dickens, the Chuck yeah. Wagon Gang was a very famous gospel group too from back in the day. Johnny Cash, oh. Carl Smith, Lefty Frizzell, Johnny Horton. Remember the Battle of New Orleans? And I'm not saying mm-hmm. remember it. I know you don't. Have you had any contact? <laughs> I the, I grew up with, with the, those because my parents my parents loved them some you know Johnny Cash Little Jimmy Dickens so I I am very familiar but um yeah I grew oh. up I grew up with those thank goodness well, <laughs> that will be my only salvation is your parents for you knowing <laughs> anything about what we did so where are you from Josie. Well, I'm originally from Illinois, but we just moved to Medina, Tennessee, which is like 30 minutes out of Jackson. So, um, but this is very, very cool. I mean, I love hearing your stories. And so this is going to be um, definitely one of the topics that you talk about in your new book, of course, the Nash Family Trio. But also you mentioned, you know, because your career spans seven decades, five major labels, you know, you and your songwriting partner and beautiful wife there, Kim Nash, you guys have written songs for so many legends, such as like Dolly Parton and Reba McIntyre. So you've had an incredible career which is just mind-blowing. So, and, and all of this could be, I'm sure, found in your book. So I wanted to ask, what other topics do you think we'll be able to find in St. Center Singer? You know, the St. part was my son's idea, the St. Center Singer, because, yeah, we grew up pretty innocent in my dad's church. So it was kind of mm-hmm. like the St. part of my life. But yeah. the center part happened when I came to the University of Houston in Texas to go to college. Mm-hmm. And that's where, uh-oh, here came nightclub days and my first Mercury record contract. When people ask about a star like Chris Christopherson, in my book, we deal with the fact that I'm the first artist to cut a Chris Christopherson song. And they ask me, 
Well, how did that happen? How did you meet Chris? Do you want me to tell you that real yes, quickly? Yes, that please. Story? Yes, please. Okay, so the Marty Robbins show came through Houston, and they came to the club after hours, after Marty showed. Marty didn't come, but his press agent did. He loved my singing, took a tape to Jerry Kennedy at Mercury Records in Nashville, Tennessee, 16th Avenue South. Mm-hmm. God bless the boys that make the noise on 16th <laughs> Avenue. And the girls. And the girls. That's right. Kimberly's still in this. She was, she was just born about that time. I was a baby. Yeah, you were oh. not very old at the time. So uh, Jerry Kennedy hears me sing, sends me a contract in the mail. I sign it, send it back. No lawyer, no nothing. Hey, it's Mercury Records. And mm-hmm. so I go to Nashville to have what we call in the music business, you you have a production meeting. Do, do you have production meetings for your radio show oh, and yeah. stuff? Like that? Oh, absolutely. I know all about okay. those. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. it's a vital thing, you know, so it's you know where you're headed with, with the show. Right. So we had a production meeting set for 10 o'clock on that Tuesday morning. This would have been about 1967. Mm-hmm. Come up to there. I get to the production meeting, first time meeting Jerry Kennedy in person. He, he says, good to meet you. And I sat in the chair across from him. He picks up the phone. And that was the days of that old dial phone. You know, they had to dial each number. Yeah, yeah. And so someone answers, and he says, is the janitor there? And I thought to myself, where? Yeah, that's odd. Where, where are all these famous? Jerry Kennedy had already, I'm going to have these famous songwriters write for you that are writing for all my other artists, and we're going to make some hit records. Boy, that was in. I was in. So you can imagine when he's made a phone call and I just got there, I was expecting to listen to songs. Right. So he calls and he says, is the janitor there? I'm going, wow, that's even, what? What? And so he says, come on over. Bill wants to hear your song. Mm-hmm. Well, at that time, I didn't realize I had not lived in Nashville, even though I'd been there a few years earlier with my family recording our Columbia second album. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know everybody that works as a waiter or waitress or at the garage. Right, garage, right. At the, the second mowing job. yards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all they're all songwriters. And every one of them believe they've got the next big hit song like Garth Brooks had. Right. So there they are. And uh, that's what Chris came in. Chris took the job as a janitor at Columbia Recording Studios just to be close enough to the famous artists that all cut there and hand them some. He couldn't even. Do you know what? This is funny, Just He didn't even have a tape because he didn't have enough money to make it to have a recording session. To put his songs down, to have a demo. Really? So he had to sing them to them himself. Right. So he had already done that with Jerry Kennedy. He sang Jerry this song. Well, Jerry says, I've got this new artist coming in. And the way they couched me, if you go to YouTube and put in... Chris Christopherson and Bill Nash on the Phil Everly show, mm-hmm. 1970. You'll see me singing with Chris. I this saw song, that. And I wanted to save the title of it. You can hear the interview by uh, Phil Everly and uh, Chris saying, they told me that the, a new young Roy Orbison was coming to town and we needed material. And so he pitched this song and the song went like, he came in and he had a black t-shirt on, uh-huh. burr haircut, black jeans. He sat down with his guitar kind of draped over him. Mm-hmm. And the old black guitar that now has everybody's signatures on it. And he crossed his legs, and I looked at the bottom of his hush puppy shoe. It had a big hole in it. Oh. And I thought to myself, you know, I didn't even think to feel sorry for him right. or wonder how he was making it. I thought, where are all these famous songwriters I'm supposed to have? <laughs> right, right, right. Josie Lilden, I know I had the Shakespeare of country music <laughs> later in life in front of me. Yeah. So, so he started playing and he sang these lines. Don't look so sad. I know it's over, but life goes on and this old world will keep on turning. Let's just be glad we had some time to spend together. And here's the line. There's no need to watch the the bridges 
that were burning. Oh, my God, that my, oh. my bottom of my spine got electricity all yeah. up and down. And I thought, that's a that, that line alone, you know, that's a, right. such a negative subject. And mm. yet he was looking at it in a positive light. Now, who does that? I Just, know. Christopherson. So he got through the song and I said, man, I love it. Jerry Kennedy says, man, it's a smash. And Chris was like on stunned. What? He'd been pitching it for two years. And do you know why they wouldn't record this song? Why? Take yourself back to your parents when they were young yeah. and listening to the radio. You never heard a song that said, hold your warm and tender body close to mine. Yeah, yeah. What picture does that give you? One more time for the good times. And it has never been done. Mm -hmm. He was the front runner of that. And they they actually call that song the porno song. Really? (laughs) Nowadays, there's so much more. I know. (laughs) Nowadays. Oh, my God. Yeah. The the Union Gap came out with their songs. Young girl, get out of my mind. Get out of my life. My love for you is way out of line. You know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Broke it all open. Right. But that was two years later. By that time, in about two more years, here's what happened with Further Good Times. Do this real quickly. Ray Mm -hmm. Price recorded it and made a a million seller out of it. And guess whose record he listened to to learn it? Mine. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That is insane. You know what? Funny story, actually. When I was 14 years old, I started radio when I was 14. I'm 26 now. I actually interviewed Mr. Ray Price. Yeah, I got to interview Mr. Oh, Ray did? Price. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that's it. That's crazy because uh, yeah. well, Chris asked to come to the session. He asked if he could come to the session. Little did we know about you know Ray Price in two years, multi-million seller and all that. But oh. he was so excited because it was his first time, and we have a picture of me and him with our arms draped around each other in the control room yeah. with uh, with what? Him grinning ear to ear. Grinning ear to ear. It's just a. There's a whole bunch more. I take all day. I could take all oh. day telling you all these stories. But it was a I great. And memorable experience. Thank you, Chris Christopherson, yeah. for being my friend still today. When I go where he's playing, he calls me up to sing for the good times with him. That's incredible. What a great friend to have. Come on now. And I actually did. I seen that um, clip of you, uh, you guys at the Phil Everly show, and I got goosebumps <laughs> listening to you. You know, both of you were just incredible. What is it like for you when you see clips like that now? Does it just kind of give you just chills, uh, you know, all over <laughs> when you see those? You know what? It's interesting. After I got to know more about Chris later, I went back the next year to do, well, I'd actually did six months and six months. He would come where I was because they would tell him when I was coming to town and we'd go eat lunch. We had a great rapport going on. Yeah. And it, and I said to him, Chris, I need another one of your songs, man. I love your writing. He said, now you know how he sounds when he talks. He said, Bill, <laughs> about ruins your career with that first one. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, but no. this time, the second, third time I went to cut the Nashville, there we are. We're having lunch again. And I told him the same thing. And he said, well, I've got another one that I got to finish, but I got to get real drunk to finish it. And I said, <laughs> what will that take? He said, oh, I need a six pack. <laughs> so I handed him three dollars, yeah. and he bought a six pack of beer and headed to the alley. That's a real famous place. There, there yeah. used to be nightclub after nightclub after night, door to door to door, and all yeah. the stars were playing these clubs. And that's where everybody went when they went to Nashville. Right. They would go to the Printer's Alley. Well, he disappeared from Music Row that morning. Went to Printer's Alley. Our session was at two o'clock in the afternoon. So at ten o'clock that morning, with my three dollars in his pocket, he disappeared. <laughs> And Jerry Kennedy and I both wondered if he would make it back in time for the 2 o'clock session. So we were waiting, and Jerry
secretary's office. At 10 minutes to 2, he was not back. Oh, so, man. Josie, we're starting to say we've got to walk across the street to Columbia Studios from the Mercury offices yeah. to do this next session. And about three minutes till Jerry and I got up to leave, and here comes Chris. <laughs> and he said, okay, you got a picture of this. I'm trying to talk like a guy who's had been overserved. He said, hey, Bill, I got your song. And I thought, oh, man, oh, man. this is going to be some kind of thing. And I'm going to sing the first line of this song yeah. and see if you can pick the, the song out, okay? Okay. Now, this is a long time ago, but that's okay. Take the ribbon from your hair, shake it loose and let it fall. Then soft upon my skin, like the shadows on the wall. Come and lay down by my side, till the early morning light. All I'm taking is your time. Help me make it through the night. Oh, yeah. Have help. you ever heard it? Yes, help me make it through the night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Multi-million, multi-million seller by Sammy Smith. What a great artist. Great song. So I cut it first. My brother got drafted to the Vietnam War, which broke up the Nash Trio. Two or three years later, I'm on Mercury Records, and then I got drafted. Right. So guess what happened to my Mercury Records contract? Oh, no. It was canceled. Oh. Now, you know, yeah. that's just the way life goes, isn't it, Josie? Right, yeah. Oh, my. But thank you for your service. Yeah, I hear off. the disappointment in your voice. I know. Like, I'm like, see, my, my heart just sank. Yeah. My heart just sank when I got my draft notice. And I was hoping they would keep me on. But right. in those days, the, the war was taking more of our boys then then we're coming home and I didn't know if yeah. I'd be going to Nam or what I'd be doing and so oh I don't blame them for mm -hmm. they had to make a business decision it was not a personal decision right oh my goodness but I could I definitely could feel I'm sure I can I I know how disappointed you were at the time I could just imagine my goodness yeah. I can't even yeah. I, it's it's just crazy but you know is there was there something in the memoir any topics that you thought twice about putting in that you ultimately did add was there anything that you were a little hesitant like mm, maybe Maybe I shouldn't have that. Well, I don't know. Anytime you talk about a music career like that, mm -hmm. a lot of people get embarrassed because they got put off the label before they had enough time or there's always a reason here and there. But I'm not at all. I tell you what, each mm -hmm. experience has gained me more knowledge of how to apply myself to what I wanted to do for life. Right. was to be a singer. And I didn't even start writing until much later. There's so many incredible experiences that you've had over the years that, I mean, it's so hard to pick and choose which ones, you know what I mean, to, to talk about. But Yes, I do. But oh. you know what? One of the things that I had an advantage of is I had a lot of press that I had saved. My mother saved the scrapbook with a lot of my press clippings oh, and this and that. When I was going to be on a television show, I co-hosted Steve Allen in uh, Hollywood for that time. And I had been a guest earlier in the week in the, the, the week before and I, in my pop career oh yeah well this will throw you a curve when I signed for Capitol Records they changed my name to Michael Brennan because they didn't <laughs> want my country career to interrupt my pop career yeah. when now you have pop artists who sell country and pop right yeah nowadays that's crazy I, mean, I saw that you you moved to LA you changed your name you became like a pop star signed to Capitol Records and so how did that move work for you were you kind of out of your element or were you just like Okay, cool. Another experience, you know? No, you know what? I was, and that's very perceptive on your part yeah. to say that because now all of a sudden my voice was not one where, uh, and I don't, you know, everybody that sings country, they sing it their own way. I was kind of like the Marty Robbins style of a, of a more ballad voice. 
Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't your stone country like George Jones or someone like that or George Strait. But I always loved George, George Jones was my hero at that time. I won. I tried to drink like he did, too. I'm not a proud of it, but right. I lost a lot of brain cell in those days, oh. you know. Rawr, so. Yeah. But I just, uh, the, the pop career, all of a sudden I'm on television on ABC when my first record came out for Capitol with Mama Cass Elliott of the Mamas and Papas. Yeah. It was uh-huh. her show. Wow. And she co-hosted it, and she said, oh, he's got a sexy smile, and here he is. And I went, what? <laughs> There you what, go. Do I, have, I went and looked in the mirror in the bathroom when the show's over. What <laughs> What in the world? So, and that's a stupid joke I just made. That but is I, hilarious. But I was, singing, I was singing pop music, and I got to have lunch with Mama Cass Elliott and got to know her better. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I'm trying to think of some of the other shows that I did. It's, I guess it's in my book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I hope so. I can't think of it. Kim and I are in here in our office. We're, we're having a great time talking to you, Josie. Oh, and we appreciate great... you oh, talk about ourselves. Anytime. I'm having a great That's time. Amazing. I love hearing I love hearing well, your story. Too. I am. I'm really enjoying this because well, it's just an incredible, incredible thing. It's not every day that you have the experiences that you've had, you know, over the years. So this is very interesting for me to kind of go back with you. Well, thank you. Hey, Kim. Can I digress back to the Nashville material just for one second? Yes, yes, of course. Uh, okay, so people ask me a lot of times, country music started with a guy named Roy Acuff. I mean, that's where I started with. Are you familiar with the father of country music, Roy Acuff? Oh, yeah. for sure. Oh, yeah, okay. Because he had the big dressing room at the at the new Grand Ole Opry that they built, mm-hmm. you know, in the Opry land. When I, was, uh, when I was 14 and our first album had come out for Columbia, we got booked on the Louisiana Hayride in Shreveport, Louisiana. Mm-hmm. We were li- still living in Far. Well, we stayed living in Far. We got to go be on the show with Mr. Roy Acuff and Minnie Pearl. Are you familiar oh, with Minnie? Oh, Minnie Pearl. You know it. <laughs> Love yeah. Her. Oh, that's, well, you studied your history, girl. You I are did, good. I did. I did the huh? tag on the hat. Oh, you're... <laughs> She's my favorite. Back to your mommy and daddy, yes. Yes, they, oh, they educated me. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, anyways, we got to be on the show, and I wanted to tell you two things, Mm -hmm. and I'll get off of that. We were the show opener, and we sang, and then Minnie Pearl came out and did her part, and then Mr. Acuff came out and did his whole show. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, I think this is where the tradition started, that at the end of a show, like when you see the traveling Wilburys, Mm-hmm. All those pop artists, and they do, will the circle be unbroken? Right. That's Mr. Acuff made that famous. So this is like 30 years before the pop guys all did it, Roy Orbison and the Beatles and some of those guys that all went together and had that group. And he said at the end of his show, he finished his big song, probably uh, listen to the jingle, the jumble, and the roar as he rolls along. Dang it. By the shore. <laughs> Love it. So anyway, when he finished that, he said, Where's that Nash family? He's on stage, center stage. Where's that Nash family? Oh, weren't they great? He went on and on about us, and they had to find me and Dave on one side of the stage and my mother on the other side, and we came out running out. What do you want? What do you want? (laughs) He said, I want y'all to sing this circle, Be Unbroken With Me, and we're going to have everybody stand and sing it. And so sure enough, his band starts playing it, and I didn't even know it that well. But I was listening, I watched him, and I'm right behind him with the words, and Mm -hmm. our family harmony comes in. it was glorious. Oh, That's all man. I can tell you. What an experience. So the curtain comes down, and Mr. Acuff is done. Normally, the star goes to his dressing room, changes clothes and all. He said to me and Dave, hey, boys, come with me. Well, Ooh. what do you think? I said, my brother and I, okay. We all went right. with him. Went out the backstage door, and he said, look at my car. Well, <laughs> okay. he had two Chrysler Imperials. 
Now, I'm not sure you know what Chrysler used to make a car that was supposed to be the competition to the Cadillac, okay. and they called it the mm-hmm. Imperial. Mm-hmm. It was the top-of-the-line, most expensive Chrysler. Oh, wow. And he opened the back door, mm-hmm. and he got in and sat down on it, and that white leather, and it sunk in, and he said, and he put his hand up in the, on the back of the front seat, and he, and he pushed, and he squeezed the leather, and it just was so pliable, went in with him, and he said, it's so soft, I just <laughs> sit back here and ride to the next place. And there were two of them exactly alike. Wow. Back to back. And he just wanted us to see his car. Hey. I thought, well, that's a guy thing. That's <laughs> a real guy thing. He Mr. was proud Mr. of it. He was really proud yeah. of that. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the next morning we had breakfast with Minnie Pearl. Her name is Sarah Cannon, as you mm-hmm. probably know. Yes. And she, she created a, a great work for women's cancer in Nashville, Cancer Center, mm-hmm. the Sarah Cannon Cancer Center there in Nashville. Yeah. And that was the, I never really got to reconnect with her later after that, but we got to talk with her at breakfast. And her husband was a pilot and flew her to all of their gigs, wherever she was playing. Yeah. That's where they went together. Quite a wonderful story. That is. Oh, that's so cool. What a great, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm in awe of all of the like experiences that you've had with some of the biggest names in country music and, and also pop. I mean, you've experienced it all. And everyone can check out the book, um, Saint Sinner Singer, An Unexpected, Redirected, Resurrected Life. It's available everywhere. It'll be available digitally on Barnes & Noble, Amazon. I mean, everywhere you get your books, <laughs> right? Yeah, and Kendall. Yeah, that's the reason we wrote it. And then we can go back. I can do anything you want. But I just want to make sure that the the Champions Kids Camp feature is in the very back of the book. Mm-hmm. And we've been working with children who have experienced trauma. They've been through an accident or an illness like cancer mm-hmm. or a personal loss for 20 years. We've been doing this because my oldest son, Billy, when he was two years old, two and a half, was diagnosed with leukemia at Texas mm-hmm. Children's Hospital. Mm-hmm. And so us being preacher's kids, this is just me. It, this right. is just my experience. Told us the doctor said he had a 50-50 chance to live. Really? Mm. And at that point, the trauma hit me mm-hmm. and my wife. My, I, I went blank, black, like I didn't pass out. I was just a walking zombie right. from that doctor's office to Texas Children's and to their diagnosis. And I just, I just thought we've got to do something. Well, when you, when you're diagnosed with a, a thing like that, they were losing more babies then than they were saving. Now the, mm-hmm. the percentage is way up at eighty percent, and so we're so thankful to God for it. But quickly to tell you, Kim and I held hands in that hospital room, and this is how I believe we prayed and asked Jesus Christ to heal his body, and they gave us one shot of chemo then. That day, they sent us home. Ten days later, when we came back to start the protocol, they took all his blood work again, and his he was completely normal. All of his blood wow. went normal. And we called it a miracle, and they said it was instant remission. They called it immediate remission. Hey, I didn't care what they called it. I thought, yeah. oh, my little Praise boy's God. life had been saved. And yeah. so that's, the, that's where our faith really came to us mm-hmm. and the spiritual side of our lives and so of course we went to nashville and we we wrote and we can talk about that and all but we came back to start this camp 20 years ago and we're still doing it in honor of billy. in honor of billy and to honor god for his healing i love that praise god he does he does he does praise work. god thank you yes oh listen good. thank you for saying praise god josie yeah. we we talked to a lot of people and they they don't want to talk about the faith part of it because oh. you stand in 
in chance of being criticized, you know, so. Right, right. No, I. It's part of our story. It's what happened to us. It is. It is. And that's what I love about you, both of you, is because you guys put, you know, you're the, the two loves in your life uh, besides each other, you guys are an incredible couple, is music and God, you know, and that's what I love Amen. the most. That's what I love the most about you guys, and that's why I'm a fan. So I think I think what well, y'all are doing you. is incredible. You're very welcome. And the Champion Kids uh, Camp for those who want to maybe show their supports or join in or, or what what how how can we get involved? Well, you can go to the website. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's at our if you go to bknash.com. This is our main website. It has our music stuff, but it also refers you to championskidscamp.org under charities. Okay. And that's how you can see videos. In fact, they've been revamping the videos. We're really excited now because after 20 years, we have children. That, yeah, there's so much footage of children starting with us at eight years old. That's our age range, mm-hmm. eight to 12. Can you imagine an eight-year-old going through trauma? We oh. had so many foster kids with no parents, nobody to help them. My Kim and I had each other and our families, and we had God. Mm-hmm. So we, we had we had these children that come to camp, 8 to 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out now that many of them have stayed with us, and we have a training program at the age of 13 that if they get selected, they can come back every year. And we have most of our counselors we call champs, not counselors, because a lot of the children that have been through trauma have been in front of a judge in order for counseling. Right. So they don't respond to counsel, but they do to a word night. This is our champ, and he gets us to lunch on time at camp. We have a, a, a week-long summer camp, which our, this year our camp starts on the 4th of July, mm-hmm. and it's $500 to sponsor a child to this camp. And it goes all week long, and we have go well, we have zip line and boating, and we teach Yeah, the rock wall and karate and things like that. And then we also teach a faith-based message of you're never alone. Don't forget to pray. And we talk about God and Jesus and stuff like that. Build their self-image. We praise them for any little thing they do. And so I could go on and on about it, but if you go to the website, the new thing is we've got a kid whose picture's at eight. Mm -hmm. We've got a kid graduating from high school at 18 or champs, and now they're at champ. There's a picture of them at camp with us. Their lives have become part Mm -hmm. of ours. It's just so rewarding, so rewarding. It is. It really is. And please, everyone, check out the website, championskidscamp.org. Please make sure you check yes, that out. Yes, and it's it's all plural. Champions with an S, kids with an S, camp.org, yes. Please check it out. And also bknash.com where everyone can find out more information about you and what you're up to next. So everyone can go to your website as right. well. Perfect. We're just excited about having a chance to talk to the folks about the positive things that come from even the negative things. You never know. And what I wanted to say uh, as a recoup, for all the songwriters and singers out there, don't feel like your time is wasted just because you don't get a big hit song or you don't get a major star to cut your song. Cut your song yourself now. They've got they've got all kind of outlets for you. Mm-hmm. And, and it may get you out in front of people in a way you never thought. Would, would happen for you. It's a positive thing. You don't have to become Elvis Presley to have a, a great experience for pursuing a gift that God has given you to write or sing or both. So, so I encourage you to do it. Absolutely. Do it. Absolutely. And never quit. Amen. Amen. I, I definitely, that's such great advice. It really is for just anyone, no matter what you want to do in life. That's great advice. I mean, you just do it. <laughs> Honestly, whatever yeah. you want to do in yeah, life, just do, do it. it. 
Exactly. Believe in yourself. Yeah. And and when the when the moments come when you think you've failed, failure will teach you a whole lot more than success. And you learn what you need to find out about. You go back, you rehearse this and do that, and eventually if you'll keep doing it, you'll find out what turns the crowd on when you do whatever that is. With me, they when they called me the young Roy Orbison, it's always been the high notes at the end of the song or the or the yodel thing that you know still one of my songs that I almost had a hit with was Honky Tonk Barroom Blues. That that label was the Capitol Records uh, sister label. Capital owned it, and Garth Brooks ended up on it because Garth wanted his own label. And I can't think of the name of the label now, but it's a major label. And uh, I love the yodel. I got the honky tonk barroom blues. Oh my gosh! It's just one of those things. The crowd would always go, "Oh, I love the yodel." So anyway, Eddie Arnold, you know, having cut my songs, I've always loved the cattle call. Yeah. And I used to sing that in our shows. I would mention a church that we sang it at one time. If if you thought that would be uh, appropriate, I'll tell it to you. Oh, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. My audience would love that. As it turns out, we're here in Houston when my son was healed of leukemia, Mm -hmm. and we saw a guy on television at church. We decided we needed to go back to church, and we were looking for a church. Took us a long time, couldn't find one. Turned on the TV set one Sunday morning, and a guy named John Osteen was preaching. Mm -hmm. And it's such a great message, kind of like my daddy used to preach, down-to-earth message. And it didn't last but 20, 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. It was like, hey, you didn't go for two hours. So we went to church, and somebody sent my name up to the Osteens that I was there. Because I I used to entertain around here a lot in Houston, so I was well-known. Right. And they had me stand and they said, we want to see you after service. And after service, we came back and found out that John Osteen's wife, Dodie, had been praying for me all these years because all my family was preachers and stuff. And there I was in the nightclubs drinking and carrying on. They knew. (laughs) Yeah, they figured I was already headed to hell. One foot on a banana peel and the other one in hell, like they used to say. Right, right. But they became great friends of ours. So uh, I was singing it. Kim and I were booked and singing at Lakewood for Joel. Uh-huh. One Sunday, and uh, mother, Mama Doty, his mother, loves for me to do the yodel. So I sang cattle calls <laughs> at Lakewood Church. I thought that was funny. That and I was thinking, some of those folks are going, what? But, you know, it's a, they did. It was, you know, yeah. you, are you familiar with the cattle call? Oh, yes. Well, nobody does it like Mr. Arnold did it. No. Because uh, we did his television show. Uh, that's the Nash Family Trail, too. I forgot about that one. See? Hit me, geez. It's coming yeah. to you. When you talk about it, it just it just hits you. I think that's so, I think it's so cool. Just everything, everything that you're doing. And with the new book, you know, released, and um, I know you're doing a lot of work surrounding that, but what do you think is next for you? Would you like to put out some more, you know, music or, you know, what is next on your journey, would you say? We're still recording. There's a... A song that we recorded it. Actually, Kimberly mo- wrote most of it. She based it on my life, and it's called He's in My Heart Now, I'm in His Hands. It's a beautiful song. Actually, uh, the music director at Lakewood is, is producing it for us, and we're going to have that available soon. The time I met Jim Reeves, and he's saying, Am I losing you? That first, am on that low note with his yeah. voice. Oh, man, you could hear it all over that whole Hills. huge auditorium. Ooh. All the ladies went, oh. Uh, you know, like that. So. I'm like, oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So anyway, so I don't know where we are now. I've had you back and forth from my life from the beginning to the end oh, and back to the middle. I am enjoying this. I really am. And I want everyone to go and check you out once again at BKNash.com. And I do, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. And please come back anytime. I would love to talk to you even more because I just, 
I, I, it's so exciting hearing um, your journey and seeing where you are now and where you're going to be next, you know. So I would love to have you back on anytime. Well, we would love to do it and possibly then. Who knows what the book will or won't do. Everybody has a book these days. But we wanted to chronicle our lives and give hope to people who are going through sickness for their spiritual side of things. We also wanted to give hope to young artists to let them know you can have a wonderful, fruitful career without being an Elvis Presley or a Marty Robbins. You can have a great life. And just, you know, my thought is keep God first. I didn't, and I had to ask forgiveness, but I did, and he forgives. He's a great, gracious God. Amen. I love the Lord Jesus, and our lives are pointed that way. So, Josie, I hope we get to meet you in person. I hope so, too. The Josie Show is copyrighted property of the Josie Network of Brands. It may not be duplicated, altered, or edited, sold, or aired without written consent from the Josie Show owners. Any copyright infringement of the Josie Show will be subject to legal actions.